This is an EWTN News Link. I'm Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection. The Polish Bishops' Conference asking Pope Francis to name St. Pope John Paul II a patron of Europe and doctor of the Church. The request made on the Saints at Feast Day, arguing that groundbreaking decision of his pontificate influenced the course of European and world history. Pennsylvania observing a day of remembrance this weekend on Sunday, the one-year anniversary of a deadly attack on a Pittsburgh synagogue. The shooting at the Tree of Life left 11 worshippers dead, and the governor signing a proclamation which also orders state flags on Commonwealth facilities should be flown at half-staff from sunrise until sunset on Sunday. And former President Jimmy Carter hospitalized after falling in his Georgia home. Doctors say he suffered a minor pelvic fracture, and they expect him to recover. It's the second time this month the former president has been injured in a fall at 95. For more news of the Catholic Perspective, visit EWTNNews.com. I'm Teresa Tomio, and call to communion with Dr. David Anders starts now. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? 1-833-288-EWTN. I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. 1-833-288-3986. Why do I need to confess my sins to a priest? What's stopping you? This is Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome again to the Wednesday edition of Call to Communion here on EWTN. This is the program for our non-Catholic brothers and sisters. Those of you who are looking for answers to why does the church believe this and this, but the church does not believe this and this. Here's our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. Lines are open right now, 833-288-3986. Are you listening outside of North America? Perhaps you're in England. Perhaps you're in Australia. Uh, who knows where you are? You know where you are. So uh, if you're outside of North America, dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. You can always text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for our response and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. Again, the phone number 833-288-EWTN. Our Charles Beery is our producer. We also have, uh, let's see, I think we have Ryan Penny handling the phones. Tomorrow's going to be a different day. Today it's a normal day, so Ryan is handling a call screening. Jeff Burson is not doing social media today. Charles, who do we have on social media today? Charles is handling, somebody's handling social media. We'll figure it out. Whoever that person is, they will send us uh, anything that you may want to post via YouTube or Facebook. And uh, we'll get those uh, transferred right away. Michael Birchfield is handling social media. All right. Now we're now we are good to go. I am Tom Price along with Dr. David Anders. Hey, Tom. How are you today, my friend? I'm hanging in there. Thank you. Glad to hear that. It's uh, kind of exciting around here. We've got all of our, I mean, if not all, a whole lot of our EWTN radio affiliates from coast to coast, even some uh, from other countries who are here in Birmingham today. At this moment, they are at the Shrine in Hansville on their one-day retreat. And then tomorrow, it'll be um, live broadcasting from the Hyatt Regency. We'll also have uh, all sorts of seminars and uh, how-tos um, all day long on Thursday and Friday. Always a good time. Yeah, and and you'll be there tomorrow. I'm coming. And we'll be broadcasting uh, live from the Hyatt Regency at this same time tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. We'll begin here as we're getting these calls screened. Here is an anonymous text. 
Why does the Catholic Church teach that salvation can be merited when Titus 3, 5 specifically states that we can't? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the question. So why don't we read Titus 3, 5? Okay. Okay. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So in this text, the salvation to which St. Paul refers is the salvation of being brought from the kingdom of darkness Mm -hmm. into the kingdom of God's beloved Son through the washing and renewal and rebirth in the Holy Spirit. And the metaphor of washing here clearly indicates baptism. Elsewhere, Paul's very explicit about this. In Romans 6, for example, he says we die with Christ in baptism and are raised again with him to new life. Right? Or in Galatians chapter 3, he says as many people as are baptized have clothed themselves with Jesus. So here we are, yes. washed, renewed, reborn in the Holy Spirit, saved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So what do we do now, now that we're here? Well, one of the things we need to do is stay here. Hebrews chapter 6 actually anticipates the possibility that we might not. What if we don't actually persevere and remain within the household of faith and we go back to how we were living before? Well, in such an instance, the sacred writer of Hebrews says, no sacrifice for sins remains. And St. Paul also anticipates this, again in the book of Galatians, where he says, if you go back to how you were living before, fornication, adultery, hatred of parents, disobedient of parents, that kind of thing, then you will not, he says, inherit the kingdom of God. Now, so what are we supposed to do? Well, Christ tells us. He says, if you pray to your father in secret, your father who sees you in secret will reward you. If you give alms in secret, your father who sees you in secret will reward you. In fact, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because they belong to me, you surely will not lose your reward. It's Jesus who tells us about reward. Now, merit and reward are just analogous concepts. I mean, the merit is the, the, the fact that I receive some recompense for my good deeds. Jesus teaches very explicitly that you will receive recompense for your good deeds, and in fact be punished for your bad deeds. In yeah. Matthew 25, many people will come and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you, because you didn't feed the hungry, clothe the naked. But others will feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and in they come. All right. Thank you for your text. We appreciate that. Here's one now from Mike, who says, <laughs> kind of hilarious to answer this in less than two minutes, why does God, being a good and just God, allow people to suffer? People have been wondering that for since the dawn of time, I think. Yeah, exactly, because it's through suffering that we become detached from the world and learn, if we are cooperating with God's grace, to desire God alone and to depend on him entirely. And it's in this way that he saves us from ourselves, from our own disordered affections. And through the path of suffering, we come into contemplative union with God. Now, that's not a guarantee that suffering will have this effect on you, but suffering is the opportunity to get the job done. And the correct attitude is the one that the Blessed Virgin Mary had. Be it done to me according to thy word. Your will is good, Lord. Whatever you will, you will for my good, my benefit, my salvation. So I need to believe that. I have to have faith in that. And and then cooperate with the Holy Spirit's action in my life and see this suffering as an occasion uh, for growth and holiness. Okay. 
Thank you, uh, Mike, for your text. Uh, Nancy's watching us on Facebook right now. Nancy says, what is up with Catholics and all their feasts? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. So the earliest feast in the church is uh, Sunday, right? And we yeah. read about it in the New Testament uh, of the early church would gather on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus uh, rose from the dead, to celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And uh, we read in this very early in the second century, the church also began to celebrate, in particular, the day that um, uh, the, the Paschal Mystery of Christ, Good Friday, um, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, on an annual basis as well. And there are other events from the life of Jesus and the saints that we celebrate as like, uh, you know, birthdays in a family. Pretty awesome. There you go, Nancy. Thanks for checking us out today on Facebook. In a moment, we'll talk with Adrian in Colorado Springs. A couple lines open for you right now, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Here's a thought from Mother Angelica's Perpetual Calendar. You must read the scripture every day and see men of faith and how they exercised it. God is terrifically demanding. Anybody that waters down the gospel so that it is easy to forget, that's not the gospel. Mother Angelica's Perpetual Calendar features an inspirational message for each day of the year. It's available from the EWTN Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Father Benedict Rochelle. I must tell you that from what I observe from very young people, all of these blasphemers, all of these mockers are in for a tough time. Because the devil bites his own tail. And I find among young people a growing reverence and longing for God. I find a decline in the cynicism and skepticism around because it had to destroy itself no one can live on being an enemy of God it's too crazy it's too absurd it's too dark it's too bleak God is beautiful God is holy why in the world mock God the people you know and trust are on EWTN You'll want to join the backbone of EWTN, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. You'll hear it tomorrow morning and every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Very blessed to uh, bring you the Mass every day. And matter of fact, uh, our own Monsignor Charles Pope was the homilist today for the Mass. Uh, he is here in town for the radio conference, able to uh, use him. Bring him in. I believe uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers was also con celebrating uh, in his deacon role this morning as well. So, a great broadcast of the Mass this morning. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Adrian in Colorado Springs, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Adrian, what's on your mind today? Um, I actually had a concern uh, at work. Uh, my manager recently hired somebody that's going through transition, uh, a male that's now uh, insisting that he be called she um, and by a different name. Um, and he had a meeting with all of us, and he told us, you know, he expects us to all be professional and, um, you know, call this person as they choose to be called. Um, what happens tomorrow when he 
chooses he's fluid and I have to keep going back and forth or I'm, I'm not sure how to be loving while also uh, you know standing for for what uh, a Catholic is uh, in in the middle of this so I was hoping you could yeah enlighten me thanks I appreciate the question so it is it is unfortunate that this question be construed as one of Catholic identity or religious freedom for speech. That's unfortunate because you don't have to be Catholic to know what a man is. This is a question of, this is a human question about the meaning of language and biology, which is, which is falling down obvious. And uh, we know what the words male and female mean. Mm-hmm. And when the when the cattleman goes to breed cattle, he does not stop to ask the bull what it would like to be called before he mates it with the cow. He knows how to tell the difference between the the, the male and female cow, and 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 thus with all uh, sexually dimorphic species. It's, it's this, these are what the words mean, all right. And and so it's an offense against my own not not just my religion but my rationality. It's it's like you know 1984 when the character is he's, how, how many fingers do you see? I see five fingers. Whack! Try again. Okay, I see three. Right answer. No, it's not. There's no reason. It's just coercion, right? And and so we're being coerced into into uttering absurdities that contradict evidence, the evidence of our senses. And it's not only Catholics who are offended by this. It's anybody who, who, who believes that we can discern reality, right? Um, but nevertheless, that's the situation increasingly that our culture is putting us in. So what to do about it? Well, first of all, when you are addressing a person directly in the English language, the second person singular pronoun uh, is not gendered, right? You does not have masculine or feminine gender attached to it. Correct. So I don't see that the question need arise when you're talking directly to this individual. And, of course, you can be all kinds of charitable and all kinds of deferential and all kinds of friendly and amicable and all the rest of it and and, and be as open and human and... Obviously, this is a person who's deeply wounded and hurting profoundly and may also be very touchy and might be looking for a fight. And so you need to be, as Jesus says, as, as innocent as a dove, but as crafty as a serpent. Um, if you are referring to this person in the third person, mm-hmm. I, I think if I were in your position, this is just me, I would try really hard not to use a pronoun. Well, Smith over there says the copier is not working. Ah, okay. I, I mean, I would try to do that personally, right? Um, and, uh, you know, the, the individual in aisle six, I mean, just, and that's just me, right? Because sure. I, I, it just, it's just a grotesque offense of my humanity. Right. I, I identify as a rational human being. And this is a fence about how I identify myself, which is someone who has a capacity to discern the difference between men and women. 
All right, Adrian. Uh, also, if we can add a little P.S. here, p- please keep this this coworker of yours in your prayers. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate your call, Adrian. That opens up a line for you now at eight three three two eight eight EWTN. That's eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. It's called communion here on EWTN. Uh, Jamie sent us a text. I was raised Baptist and Catholic. All right. In the Baptist Church, they speak heavily about feeling God talking to you and feeling His love. I have never heard that from the Catholic Church. I am so glad you raised that question. Um, that's because you can't feel God. Can't do it. It's not possible. Because God uh, is not material. God does not have a body. And, I mean, I can reach out all day long and flap my hands around, and that's, I'm not going to bump up against God. Not in that way. That's not the kind of thing that God is. Mm. Um, I can I can reason about God as the ground or first cause or first principle of all things. But the only thing I have empirical access to are the material things that he's made. Now, I might have feelings about God. I might, for example, consider the beauty and the majesty of the created world and be filled with awe. And that would be a proper response, religious awe, to the to my reasonable conclusions about God's nature based on what he's made. And so that's a religious emotion that's appropriate, but it's not a direct experience of God's essence. And and the feelings themselves, by the way, are not spiritual. Because feeling takes place at the level of our sensuality at, at really at a biochemical kind of level. Mm. And it's something that we share with animals. So I have had this dog named Smudge. Smudge is a Havanese. I've got three Havanese. Smudge has the lowest IQ in the bunch. And she <laughs> startles easily, right, at anything. And uh-huh. if I make a sudden movement, Smudge will, will freeze like stone, terrified, staring at me, right? She, she has passions and emotions. They're very evident. She kind of wears them on her furry little muzzle for all the world to see. Um, and uh, and yet she's not a spiritual being. She's not made in the likeness and image of God. She doesn't have an immortal soul, right? And so when she has these emotional responses, there are no indication of God particularly or miraculously at work in her emotional life. They're just biological reactive phenomenon. And there's an aspect of the human person that's like that. As animals, as biological creatures, we have a motivational system of aversion and attraction that's grounded in our biology, and it's one of our lower faculties that doesn't distinguish us from animals and is not that in which our imaging God's likeness consists. The highest part of the human person is our rationality, our intellect, and our rational appetite, or our will, which is, enables us to deliberate and choose between goods conceptualized as goods. And there are, our choices and our, and our intellection take place in the context of our emotions and our passions, but are distinguishable from them. And our moral responsibility does not consist in the depth of our affectivity. So, for example, I have a very strong emotion to do or not do something, irrelevant to any consideration of whether that is a a morally good act. A man might have a strong, effective inclination to cheat on his wife, 
the fact that he has strong emotions about it doesn't make it justifiable. It's wrong, right? Yeah. He may have absolutely no desire to go home to his wife. Still the right thing to do. You've got to go home to your wife, yep. right? So the fact that uh, that Catholics don't make a whole lot out of an emotional encounter with God is because that's not primarily how God is encountered. Now, God could, if he wants to, come down and directly move us in our emotional life. All right? It's just that that's not how he's revealed to us that he primarily intends to touch us. Um, to the extent that he does, it's often by removing from our experience or our awareness, experiences of sensible consolation. So Jesus, of course, is our model in, in all of Christian life. What kind of emotional experiences did Christ have? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's what Jesus said. In Gospel of John, he said, I am deeply troubled to the point of death. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this reason I came. Right. So if you really want to follow Christ in your emotional life, then you ought to sign up for the experience of profound desolation, crushing sorrow, complete and total alienation. Because that's what Jesus went through. And anyone who loves as profoundly as Christ loved is going to experience that kind of desolation for the same reason, because you'll love someone who rejects you. Yeah. All right. And uh, we thank you, Jamie, for your call, or your question, rather. It is called a communion here on EWTN. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. couple lines are open for you right now. Lisa just sent us a text. She says, my agnostic friend says, if Jesus was real, and if drinking to drunkenness is a sin... Why did Jesus change water into wine? Which is odd, since the guests were drunk by the end of a feast. That seems like a contradiction. So, why did Jesus change water into wine? Okay, first of all, there is no indication from the Gospel account that the participants in the feast were drunk after the feast. All we know is that the master of the feast said, generally speaking, at wedding feasts, by the end of the feast, people are not able to tell the difference between good wine and bad. That's that's all, and that's, and that, that's it. He doesn't actually say that nobody there knew the difference. Right. Just that, in general, one couldn't tell the difference between good wine and bad by the end of a feast. There could be a lot of explanations for that <laughs> phenomenon, only one of which is inebriation. Right? So there's no actual indication that anybody there got drunk. Second of all, uh, what the Catholic Church means by the sin of drunkenness is the the, the loss of our rationality or our, our ability to uh, control ourselves, right? So again, I, I you know I'm not a, I'm not a big drinker, um, but uh, I think that I would probably not care that much between like a, a 95 red wine and a 85 sooner than I would become inebriated. Sure. Right. Okay. So I just I just don't see that the premise of the question is evident at all from the text. But let's assume, for the sake of argument, that somebody at the wedding feast at Cana got blasted. Is Jesus at fault for that? No, he's not at fault for that. I mean, like, what if Jesus had you know made a a, a knife to cut the wedding cake? And somebody took it up and stabbed his nephew. You know, I mean, like Jesus isn't responsible for you stabbing your nephew just because he leaves a knife on the table, yeah, that's right? Correct. Yep. 
Um, but the ultimate purpose, why in fact did Christ change water into wine? As a sign of his messianic identity, because he took these jars that were used for Jewish ceremonial washing that had this barren water in it, and he turned it into flowing wine. And so it's a symbol of the relationship of Christ to the old uh, to the Mosaic Code, that he takes what was a, a bare and empty symbol and infuses it with the spirit of grace so that the law now is written not simply on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. All right. When we were in Cana a couple of years ago, we got to see probably not one of the stone jars, but certainly a stone jar that was purported to be about the same size. It's big. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like 150 gallons or yeah, something, like the 180 pretty, gallons of booze that Jesus pretty made Pretty serious, yeah. pretty serious. Let's go to uh, Alex right now in Rio Grande, New Jersey, listening on Domestic Church Media. Alex, what's on your mind today? Yes, how are you, uh, Dr. David Anders? How hey there. Um, my, my question to you is, uh, you know, since I sometimes have a hard time getting to church on Sunday, and we made me and my wife and the kids make a commitment to go on Saturday because of my schedule being uh, Friday Saturday off. You know, uh, is that <laughs> I I don't know how else to put it. Would that still not be a good you know uh, path towards heaven because of being or held against me? I'm sorry, being held against me because I don't go to church on Sunday. Instead, I go to church on Saturday. Are you going on Saturday night to the Vigil Mass? Um, during a, um, I would say like during the daytime evenings, that's when we go, you know, when we try to make... Okay, uh, so most, most Catholic parishes in the United States offer a Vigil Mass on Saturday night that is the same liturgy as the one offered on Sunday, and it satisfies the obligation to go to Sunday Mass. All right, now, it, like Saturday morning Mass is, is the Mass for Saturday, but you can actually attend the Mass for Sunday on Saturday night, and it satisfies your Sunday obligation. But one way or the other, we are obligated to fulfill that that requirement of the Church, that we worship with the people of God once a week on the Lord's Day, which is you know sundown to sundown in celebration of His resurrection, so that we can share in the corporate worship of the Church, because we're members of a body, we're members of a society. We're not just individuals on our way to heaven, but we're there going as a group. Right, and and so that that corporate worship is an important part of Christian identity. Alex, thanks so much for your call. Glad you're listening on Domestic Church Media, long time, very important partner with EWTN Radio. Appreciate your call. In a moment, we'll talk with Roseanne in North Carolina. A couple lines open available for you right now. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN. That's eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. The 13th Annual Fun Run with a Mission will be held on Saturday, October 27th at Morgan's Wonderland. Mass will begin at 7.30 a.m. and the run starts at 8.30 a.m. There will also be food, music, and entertainment. This is hosted by Hope for the Future to benefit Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of San Antonio. To register, visit hopeforthefuture.org or call 210-734-1963. The Guadalupe Radio Network would like to thank Vernon Ray and South Tejas Insurance for their support of the Safer Dove Hunt fundraiser for KJMA. South Tejas Insurance, located in Bernie, serves the Texas Hill Country area as well as the San Antonio and surrounding areas. For more information, 
or to call them just to say thanks. You can reach them at 210-872-8080. Thank you, South Tejas Insurance, for your support of Guadalupe Radio. Don't miss your one-time, one-night-only opportunity to see Love and Mercy, Faustina, in theaters on October 28th. Tickets are selling fast, but there's still time to bring your whole parish, youth group, or prayer group. The docudrama follows the incredible call of St. Faustina to religious life and the healing effects of this message on countless people around the world. This is a one-night showing on October 28th at 7 p.m., and there's three theaters here in San Antonio. The Santicos Embassy 14, Regal Hebner Oak Stadium 14, and the Santicos Palladium. Buy your tickets at the box office or visit FathomEvents.com. That's Fathom, F-A-T-H-O-M, Events.com. St. Faustina, pray for us. Jesus, I trust in you. The Wednesday edition of Call to Communion here on EWTN. Several lines are open right now. If you've been wanting to get through to Dr. David Andrews, here is your chance. 833-288-EWTN is the number. 833-288-3986. By the way, our email is always available. CTC at EWTN.com. CTC at EWTN.com. Back to the phones right now for Roseanne in Banner Elk, North Carolina, listening online to the EWTN app, a free download. Hey there, Roseanne, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, first, I just want to say uh, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Anders. I listen every day and uh, agree almost 100%. And this topic that I'm talking about now, it's not that I disagree. I just want to make a clarification. When you were talking to the caller about feeling God, um, yeah, you can't physically feel God. That is true. He is not a solid substance. Uh, you know, I totally agree with that. But, I, and I don't know what the Baptists mean by feeling God either. I'm not going there. But um, God does give people consolations that um, manifest as they're experiential. Um, they are feelings. And Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and, um, you know, the whole Carmelite concept of, of uh, contemplative prayer, it is experiential, and you do feel um, something, and it's not emotion. It's directly tied to a spiritual uh, a true spiritual consolation. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about spiritual consolations because I I don't recall you doing that ever. Yeah. And uh, it is, yeah. some people would call it feelings, although it isn't really a feeling. Absolutely. And I really appreciate the question and the, and the clarification. So let me, um, let me make a few statements about this. First of all, the way the, quest, the previous question was framed to me was about feeling God. And you, you said you weren't going to say anything about what the Baptists mean. I will say something about what the Baptists mean, because I grew up in the evangelical Protestant world and am familiar with this kind of uh, uh, disposition. And there's a strong sense, a strong implication in a lot of Protestant worship, and especially in the charismatic and Pentecostal tradition, but also in the Baptist tradition to a certain extent, that one can infer 
from emotional experience the activity of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And uh, so that might take the form of uh, an assertion like the following. Man, I could really feel the Spirit moving today at church. Wasn't the Spirit of God moving at you know today in the worship service? And what they what they really experience is heightened or elevated emotion. That's what they experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is. But then to infer from that God was at work in our lives is overstating the evidence. It's overstating the evidence. Maybe God was working in your life. Maybe maybe he wasn't. You sh- that's just not the kind of evidence when you want evidence of the Spirit's activity in our life, sacred scripture points us to virtues, not to feelings. So, let's get around to what the Catholic Church tells about religious emotion, feeling, consolation, desolation, John of the Cross, spiritual experience, the interior life, these kinds of things. So, um, the language of consolation and desolation comes to us from the, um, uh, from the spirituality of Ignatius of Loyola, in particular spiritual exercises. And Ignatius points to a very common fact in human experience, namely that we tend to sort of go back and forth between an experience of consolation and desolation in the spiritual life. Consolation would be kind of a sense of sweetness in prayer, drawn to divine things, a desire to pray, a desire to seek God, uh, a, a willingness to make resolutions to improve ourselves in the spiritual life, and so forth. And desolations would be uh, those movements of the soul that are contrary to consolation. Mm-hmm. It would be movement to low and earthly things, a disinclination to pray, maybe a disgust with divine things, discouragement, that, those kinds of experiences. But here's the point that Ignatius makes. Both of those can concur within or can, yeah, can concur within a soul walking with God. A person can be in the state of grace, growing in prayer, growing towards God, and have the experience of desolation. So one does not infer from desolation that one is far from God. Similarly, one can have an experience of consolation. One could have a sort of elevated emotional experience in the context of prayer um, and yet be deceived about one's spiritual state. So desolation and consolation is the context in which our spiritual life unfolds. And, and Ignatius gives very, very wonderful guide, guiding rules and principles for understanding how to operate under these two conditions, but never says, like, the, the experience of one or the other is proof that God is either present or absent to you, right? And that's the wrong kind of inference. Now, let's change gears and talk about the Carmelite spirituality of John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. Um, it is... It is absolutely essential to the spirituality of John and the Cross, John of the Cross, that when one passes into the beginnings of the contemplative life, into the illuminative way, that the path into the illuminative way, the beginnings of contemplative prayer, happen through the dark night of sense. Not the dark night of the soul, but the dark night of the sense. When God deprives the soul of all spiritual consolation. Of all, of all sensible, I should say, all sensible consolation. Gone. No warmth, no ishy-cushies, no fine feelings. Aridity. Aridity. And so the, the thing that makes John of the Cross so revolutionary and so helpful is if you grow up in one of those traditions that teaches you, you know, if you experience aridity, well, something's wrong with you, 
or maybe God's not pleased with you, or God's not at work in your soul. No, actually, John of the Cross's teaching is that sensible aridity is absolutely necessary for union with God. And and it's one of the reasons why you have to have a very talented, good spiritual director who can tell the difference between spiritual aridity and, say, something like depression. Who can sort that all and out. Who can sort that mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so is there an experiential aspect to the depths of the interior life? Absolutely. But does it equate to, say, warm, pious, or happy, or comforting religious emotion? Not at all. Not, not, I mean, those, those can happen, but there's no one-to-one correspondence at all in the context of the spiritual life. And, and there's a document from the Vatican about this. It's very helpful. Some aspects of Christian meditation came out from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith under the pontificate. No, I'm sorry. Was it when, I guess Cardinal Ratzinger was the prefect at the time. It would have been in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, it, they're warning, actually, against improper applications of Eastern spirituality and techniques to Catholic spirituality, particularly those forms of meditation or practice that would encourage a person in a certain kind of quality of emotional experience. And the document makes this exact point that it would be entirely inappropriate to conclude from a certain kind of emotional experience that one did or did not actually have the Spirit of God. Mm. I mean, yes, can God move move in your emotions, either positively or negatively? Absolutely. But the psalmist says, Incline my will, O Lord, as Psalm 119. Incline my will, O Lord, according to your statutes. All right. And Roseanne, thank you so much for your excellent call. It is called a communion here on EWTN, 833-288-EWTN is our phone number, 833 833- 288-3986. Here is Vanessa. Vanessa's in Seattle listening on Sacred Heart Radio. She's a first-time caller. Hey, Vanessa, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom and Dr. Anders. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I I really appreciate your ministry. Um, I heard the call this morning earlier about transgender, and I have a niece. Um, she is 14, and she is proclaiming that she is now a boy. Um and my sister insisted that all of us, our family, um, address her as a boy. Um, and I don't know, um, I, I need your help with that. And as far as um, her taking communion, is that allow- allowed? Um, what, what should I do? Okay, thanks. I really appreciate this question very much. So um, this is dangerous, the situation that your niece is in. And the the data, uh, the scientific data on this, experience of gender dysphoria in the young, is that most young people who, who experience gender dysphoria, the sense of like dissatisfaction with one's biological sex and wishing that one were the other biological sex, they will grow out of this. Most of them, the vast majority of the cases grow out of it. Right? A phase? It's a phase, yeah, okay. exactly. And, and the... However, our our culture has been caught up in an ideology that somehow or another the 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 self determined identification is like that's the most important thing, and then everything biology facts data all that is trumped by just my assertion that I am a certain way that that, that takes priority. Well, that's that's a that is a lunatic position to take because you wouldn't apply that criterion to any other assertion. If I say I'm Napoleon, 
you are under no obligation to treat me as Napoleon, right? And 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 yet here in this instance, somehow or another, that 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 declaration is understood to be sacrosanct. Well, it doesn't make any sense, right? And um, uh, there's a there's a, a psychiatrist, Johns Hopkins University, um, who was uh, involved early on in sex reassignment surgery at that medical school and then came out later in opposition to it because he saw that the clinical results were were not what they needed to be to justify the 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 operation the fellow's name is Paul McHugh and so you might get some good resources out of McHugh's writings to suggest to your uh, relative that maybe the most compassionate thing is not to totally own this identification by the 14 year old um, another organization within the Catholic Church that's uh, very helpful here is the Courage Apostolate that provides support and resources to individuals and families that experience either same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or what have you. Um, and, uh, you know, if I if I were able to have a conversation with the young person, and it was, I'd have to be, you'd be so compassionate, so understanding, so tolerant, so deferential, just so sensitive, so it's probably not going to happen. But if I could win an opening and at in trust and vulnerability and, and all of that to have a genuine conversation, I think I would ask a young girl who said she was a boy, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? What does that mean? And it's very hard to make sense out of that assertion in any way other than I wish I were a boy. And that just means I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And so your heart breaks and you're compassionate and you're loving. All right. And that's the proper response to take, one of compassion and love and generosity and forgiveness and, and openness and, and, and accompaniment. Now, what about the question of Holy Communion? Um, that's, that's, I don't know um, if the church has actually addressed that in a in, in terms of the Congregation for Sacred Liturgy and what's appropriate. Now, there is information from the Vatican on this, from the Sacred Con- Congregation for Catholic Education, not liturgy, mm-hmm. a document that came out in the spring called Male and Female, He Created Them, and it's about the gender ideology and how we are to handle it, particularly in the context of Catholic education. And in that document, it's very clear that the church regards gender ideology as a false and harmful ideology, and that we have to, while with accompaniment and compassion, be very clear on what both religiously, philosophically, and scientifically the facts are about the human person. And we ought not to go along with the premises of gender ideology. Um, now, you know, as one who's not a pastor and doesn't have to make these judgment calls, um, it's tricky because, obviously, if I'm a pastor, I'm not going to exclude somebody from Holy Communion because they are suffering from uh, a, a psychological neurotic condition. All right, certainly not. Okay. Um, however, if someone is sort of parading a harmful ideology in a very public way on their shirt sleeve, so to speak, in a way that contradicts the truth of the human person and and resists instructions to do otherwise, well, that could be an occasion for scandal, right? 
Um, but the question of figuring out like the individual's culpability and and like are they responsible for their actions and all of this and they need God's grace, that's just that's just so way above my pay grade. I'm just going to wait for Cardinal Sarah and the congregation to talk about what to do in that circumstance. Sounds like a plan. We do thank you so much uh, for your call, Vanessa. This is called a communion here on EWTN. Want to uh, let you know about one of the other radio services from EWTN, and that is our great network, EWTN Radio Classics. If you've never heard it, you ought to check it out. It's our 24-7 teaching and devotionals channel from the EWTN archives, which are, as you might imagine, after all these years, pretty voluminous, featuring great shows and talks from Mother Angelica, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Father Benedict Rochelle, and so much more. We even uh, air the rosary, I think, three or four times a day, including a special rosary just for kids. Check it all out, EWTN Radio Classics. You can listen to it online at EWTNRadio.net. You can also hear it on the EWTN app and on your favorite smart speaker. We'll go back to the phones in just a second here. Uh, Question here, though, from... Let me scroll up just a little bit. Click, 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 click. Yeah, this is from uh, Nathaniel listening to us on YouTube right now. Nathaniel says, You say that humans are only male or female. What about XXY people? Isn't gender driven by dozens of biological factors and any combination of them can be wired differently than the others? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the question. So, um, first of all, what I actually... I don't actually think I, I made the statement people are only male or female. I don't think I said that. I'm, in fact, I'm sure I did not. Okay, What I did was, as I said, gender ideology is wrong. And the claim of a man that he is a woman is an offense against my rationality. And I ought not to be compelled by law or culture to say otherwise or act otherwise. I, that's what I said. I did not raise the question at all, and I'll raise it now, about whether or not there can be borderline cases in biology. In biology. Yes. Now, there are borderline cases in biology. We've known about that since Aristotle. There are two-headed turtles, for crying out loud, right? There are, there are borderline cases that, that in, in which there is some kind of abnormality that deflects an individual of a species from a type. But the reason that we recognize them as borderline is because there's a normative type. You only know that a two-headed turtle is odd because turtles are supposed to have one head, and you only recognize a chromosomal abnormality because you know what normal chromosomes are like. Now, in the specific instance that you you named the XXY chromosome, which I think is a description of Klinefelter syndrome, I'm not a geneticist, and I would not claim to speak with any kind of uh, expertise on the subject as a, as a geneticist or as a physician, but um, I, 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 I think that this is a condition of someone who's biologically male who inherits an extra chromosome and in consequence has things like low testosterone and reduced muscle mass and facial hair and body hair, right? Um, So I don't think the claim is that people with an XXY chromosomal type are biologically female. No, they're... they're, uh, If if I'm wrong, you jump on me, okay? But I think these these are men 
who have a chromosomal abnormality that they experience as a kind of wound or deficit or, or, or damaged system, so to speak. Right? So what would I like to contend for as a rational person? Not that everybody falls always without exception, neatly into these two chromosomal types of XX and XY without any borderline cases. Not saying that. But there are normal types. There are unambiguously men and women, and it doesn't reduce to my own subjective sense of myself. There are biological realities that we can refer to and advert to. And when someone is evidently biologically male, and all that is being asserted is some ineffable, invisible, uh, subjective sense that that ineffable, that, that ineffable, invisible, subjective sense that cannot in any way be verified empirically ought not to control uh, our, our sense of ourself or our sense of our culture or our sense of our neighbor, and it certainly ought not to be compelled in law. Nathaniel, thank you so much for uh, checking us out today on YouTube. David, did you get the memo that today was gender day? We're going to be talking about gender all day long. Uh, I, I did not get the memo. This okay, day. well, apparently some people did. Uh, it is called a communion here on EWTN. Kelly is checking in from Columbus, Indiana, listening on Sirius XM 130. Kelly, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I am not going to be talking about gender. Okay. So, um, Dr. Anders, I was just curious if you know offhand the title of the document that you referred to when you were talking with the woman um, about Carmelite spirituality. I know it very well. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith on October the 15th, 1989, published a letter to the bishops of the Catholic Church on some aspects of Christian meditation. That's the and title. If, yes. If you want to look it up on the Internet, you can simply look up some aspects of Christian meditation, and you will find it. Very good. Kelly, thank you so much for your call. Jonathan is in Dublin, Ohio, just outside of uh, Columbus, listening on St. Gabriel Radio, the blowtorch. Uh, Jonathan's a first-time caller. Hey, Jonathan, what's on your mind today? Um, so my question is, uh, basically, if all Christian religions branches teach that the only thing you need to become a Christian is to accept that Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later, then why are there so many branches of Christianity? And if there is a reason, uh, why should Catholicism be followed? I really appreciate the question, Jonathan. I do not agree with the premise of the question that I, I don't think it is the case that all forms of Christianity teach that the one requirement for a relationship with Christ is inviting him into your heart. I, I don't think that's what all Christians teach, and I don't think it's correct. I don't think it's what Jesus himself taught. So if you read the words of Christ, and I would encourage you to do so, start with the Gospel of Matthew and read your way through the teaching of Jesus from Matthew through the Gospel of John, um, you'll find that Jesus says an awful lot about how we are to imitate his character and to obey his teaching, and that we are his disciples when we live as he lived, which includes following him in the way of the cross, taking up our crosses and following him until death, and that the one who follows him, who will be rewarded by God, has a certain kind of character, is, is poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, is pure in heart, does not lust after another in his heart, 
uh, does not give alms or pray in public to be seen by men. These kinds of dispositions, right? And Christ also intended that those who would follow him in this way would be gathered into a visible community that he called the church. He spoke about it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. He says, I will build my church. And he builds it on St. Peter. He says, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And so we have a visible society of people to which we belong, and it's a group that Christ believed you could be excluded from. Because in Matthew 18, he gives instructions for how you can be excommunicated from this from this body of people. And he gave this body of individuals formal rituals that would mark them out from other people. And and three that I'll mention right now were baptism, the Lord's Supper or the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and the Sacrament of Penance, and the promise that the apostles would, would be able to forgive sins or retain them in Jesus' name. So... This is a very different world that Christ talks about from this business about inviting Jesus into your heart. Um, uh, and when, when Jesus does talk about dwelling in your heart, he attaches conditions to it. So in John chapter 14, he says, If you love me and keep my commandments, love me and keep my commandments, then my Father and I will come and make our dwelling within you. He doesn't say, I will come dwell in you if you invite me into your heart. He never says that. He says, if you love me and keep my commandments, I will come and my Father will come and will make our dwelling within you. So what sacred scripture teaches about the identity of a Christian is one who heeds the teaching of Christ, follows his example unto carrying of the cross, lives in the community of the Christian faithful called the church, and obeys Christ's commandments, and in this way comes to have Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the God the Father indwelling within him. That's not what lots of Christian denominations teach. So where did they come from? That was your other question. Right. Well, that church that Christ founded is the Catholic Church. It's the one that's been around for 2,000 years. All of these other institutions were breakaways from the Catholic Church as they denied one or other aspect of Jesus' teaching. And they taught instead the traditions of men. All right. Jonathan, excellent call. Uh, do call us back another time. We'd love to hear from you. Dr. David Anders, thank you, sir. Thanks, Tom. Be looking forward to uh, working with you tomorrow at the, uh, the Hyatt Regency. We're going to be broadcasting virtually all of our daytime shows from Morning Glory all the way through Cresta in the Afternoon from the Catholic Radio Conference tomorrow at this same time. So do check us out. On behalf of Charles Ryan and Michael Birchfield, I'm Tom Price here along with Dr. David Anders. See you tomorrow here on EWTN's Call to Communion. Have a great day and God bless. Hey y'all, this is Father Mitch Pack. Open Line Wednesday is next on EWTN Radio. 
Now, not only can you watch EWTN anywhere, but anytime with EWTN On Demand. Get on-demand access to more than 12,000 EWTN programs, including live shows and specials, all in one place, all free. Just go to EWTN.com forward slash on-demand. There's nothing to fill out, no memberships required, and no fees to pay. All you need is an Internet connection, and you're good to go. EWTN On Demand. Fast, easy, and free. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. St. Joseph Catholic Church in Honey Creek is having a grief workshop to help individuals who have experienced the death of a significant person in their lives. This will take place Saturday, November 2nd at 2.30 p.m. in their parish hall. Please bring a picture of your deceased loved one, and all are invited to attend the 5 p.m. Mass after the workshop to receive a special blessing. RSVP to Judy at 210-279-2799. Remember the day you first laid eyes on her. They handed you the keys and you drove back home for everyone to admire. And although the memories have been made, it's time to pass the torch to someone else. This year, consider donating your vehicle to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Even if it's not running anymore, we'll take care of everything. Just call 888-784-3476 or log online to grnonline.com and click on Donate. One year after I graduated Catholic high school, I eloped to Las Vegas, Nevada. My husband was not Catholic, and at the time, I didn't really think that it really mattered which church we went to because we all loved God and we all loved Jesus, and that was the start of my journey out of the Catholic Church, where I remained out of the Catholic Church for over 30 years. When I um, started to read the Bible, I could see that our Catholic faith is steeped in scripture I could see some of the sacraments in scripture I could see some of the liturgy in scripture I learned that the Catholic Church was started by Jesus Christ who gave the authority to Peter and it has continued in succession down to the present day and that was the start of my journey home to the Catholic Church if you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason we invite you to take another look visit catholicscomehome.org today The Faith and Freedom Minute explores the intersection of our Catholic faith and modern American culture, offering insights to understand and navigate the divide between secular viewpoints and our Catholic principles. Brought to you by the Knights of Columbus, here's past State Deputy for Texas, Douglas Oldmixon. Catholic media has a unique opportunity to analyze the state of affairs in such a way that the common ground, basic values and truths, and the substance of the conversation can emerge observes Archbishop Laurie. We have this tremendous tool in our Catholic social teaching that sheds light upon the issues we are facing in ways that transcend political party lines. And we need to have enough unity ourselves in the church that we can share the wisdom of this social teaching with the broader culture that will get a hearing. Catholic media, whether traditional or electronic, has an opportunity to contribute to the discussion and an obligation to do so, given the sorry state that cultural dialogue is currently in. We couldn't agree more. Will you join us? This has been the Knights of Columbus Faith and Freedom Minute. To learn more about the effective witness and practical works of the world's largest Catholic family organization, 
please visit our website at tkofc.org. That's tkofc.org. You can now get the Guadalupe Radio Network app for your iPhone or Android. With it, you can listen to your local GRN station or any station in the GRN network from wherever you are. You can hear on-demand podcasts of your favorite GRN programs. You can connect with the people at your GRN station. And you can easily support the mission of Catholic Radio when you're ready. Visit grnonline.com. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio on the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone.